keep coming back to it month after month after month, year after year after year after year. When you get to the New Testament, we have a break with that language, and instead we start talking about Christ as redeeming, as satisfying, as John chapter 2 says, as, or 1 John chapter 2 as being the propitiation, the complete satisfaction for the wrath of God. That is a stark and important difference as we think about and as we sing through. Sometimes we kind of get sloppy in our language, and that's not an awful thing. We shouldn't have to, to pick our words super carefully at every time. But just think about that sometimes when you talk about Christ's sacrifice. He didn't just put a covering on sin. He removes it. He takes it in himself and pays the final penalty for it so that it is completely done with, gone forever, forgotten by God, placed as far as the east is from the west, buried in the depths of the sea. Tim. Thank you, Ben. We truly are blessed to live in the time frame in which we live. I mean, it sure would have been nice to see David beat Goliath in that battle. It would have been nice to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. But so much better to live post-cross and be able to know and understand the redemptive work of Christ and the cross of Calvary. You see, the, the Old Testament saints, they looked forward to the coming of Christ and the, and, the, and the dealing of sin once and for all. But we have the privilege of looking back and knowing because of Christ and his work, we have the promise and the guarantee of redemption and eternal life. Well, we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians this morning. Let me start off by asking, how's your morning going? Has it been one of those kind of Sunday mornings where it's rush here and there and, and just try to get everything in order and, and, and schlep into church and say, oh man, I finally made it. I didn't know if I was going to or not. Or has it been a kind of morning where it just kind of smoothly sailed right along and there were no uh, family drama, there was nothing going on that kind of interrupted your preparations on all of that kind of stuff? Well, I don't know what your morning's like. Mine's been pretty uneventful, praise God. Scott? Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a choice, is it, is it not? You, you can choose to be any place you want to be, but you can also choose to honor God. And sometimes you don't get that choice because you've got to work or you're sick or whatever, but when we have the choice, let's strive to make the right choice. Well done. And for everybody else, well done for making that right choice. So let me remind you this morning as we turn back to the book of Philippians, we're going to finish off chapter 2 this morning. Um, and it might not, from a, from a quick read, be one of those exciting passages of Scripture, but it's an important passage of Scripture. But before we jump into the example of two godly men, let me remind you what the theme of the book of Philippians is all about. The theme is joy. And the fact that Christ, through his work on the cross of Calvary, has made possible for you and I to live our lives in joy. 
And it's not re- it doesn't matter what the circumstances are going on in our life at the moment. We can still live in joy. I got a letter this, this week from Baptist Mid-Missions. Um, and the, the president there was reminding us of how important missions are. But he said he's been doing some study in, guess what, the book of Philippians. And he wanted to share a definition of joy with us. You know me, I, I kind of like unique types of definitions. We have some of them here at Calvary Baptist Church, like faith and things like that. But here's uh, Patrick Odell's definition of joy. He says, joy is an attitude of delight that is rooted in our confidence that our good God is in sovereign control of the circumstances of our lives for our good and his glory, enabling us to praise him. That's pretty good. It's long. I'll read it again for you. But it puts our focus on what joy is all about in the right place. He says, again, joy is an attitude of delight that is rooted in our confidence that our good God is in sovereign control of the circumstances of our lives for our good and his glory, enabling us to praise him. He goes on to say that it's no wonder the Bible refers to joy so much. Philippians alone refers to joy at least 18 times. One of those references is found in Philippians 4.10 where Paul describes how greatly he rejoiced because of the generosity of the Philippian church. So you and I as Christians can be joyful no matter what's going on in life. And that's because our joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but it's rooted in our confidence in our good God, who always does what is good, right, and best for his children. Let's ask God to bless our time together in his word, and then we'll jump into Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. What a privilege it is to be here with brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, have determined that this was the place they needed to be this morning. One, to honor you, but two, to fellowship together and to open your word and to learn from the pages of Scripture. Father, there's no better place to learn about who you are and what you expect from us than the pages of Scripture. And so as we open to the book of Philippians chapter 2 this morning, we ask that you would bless our time together in your word. Encourage us as we look at a couple of men who lived for you, who loved you, and who loved serving you and found their joy in you. Father, bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of our message this morning is, A Few Good Men, and in parentheses, women too, because just because he's talking about women, or I mean men, doesn't mean that women are left out. God wants godly women in our midst just as much as he wants godly men in our midst. And you know why it's important for us to have godly men and godly women in our churches? Because we have Boys, and we have girls that are growing up, and as godly men and godly women, we have the opportunity and, in fact, the responsibility to influence these young men and young women as they grow up. As they see our godly example and our godly testimony, they look at us and they say, hey, I can follow that example. I can, I can do those things. But if there's no example for them to see, they're missing out on what they're supposed to look like as they grow up. So Paul throws out a couple of guys here. Um, and you know what? These are, well, one of them is obviously in ministry. And one of them is just an ordinary guy who took a missions trip to help and minister in the life of the Apostle Paul. So don't look at these two guys and say, oh, that's not for me. I can't do that. Yes, 
He puts these out here for each one of us to be able to follow and to look at in our lives and see, hey, let's, let's do what they're doing. Let's be like them and, and see what God will do in our lives. This life that Paul puts forth um, from Paul was a life that was marked by humility. Now, Paul had all of the trappings to be a boastful man. In fact, I think prior to his Damascus Road conversion, I think Paul was pretty close to the place where he thought the sun rose and set on him. He, he had it all together. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was uh, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, the favored tribe of his father, Jacob, is, is what Benjamin, that's, that's the importance of being of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, hey, I'm a Benjamite. What are you? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're one of those. Uh, that's not quite as important as Benjamin. You see, Paul, Paul was a man who had a pedigree that he could tack up on his wall and say, hey, look at me, okay? But when God got a hold of his life, it wasn't about look at me, It was about look at Christ. Or if he did say, look at me, he says, look at me because I'm looking at Christ. My eyes are on Christ. And if if that's where our eyes are, then people can follow us as an example. He mentored these two guys that he's going to talk about um, in the end chapter of Philippians chapter 2. So as uh, he talked about, the last week we looked at the characteristics of Christ and the humility of Christ and the fact that Christ, although he is God, He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God because he is God. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And in this life of Christ, even though he is the son of God, was marked by humility. And that humility caused him to esteem others better than himself. And Paul said, you do the same thing. You look at your life and you esteem others better than yourself. That was was not just a suggestion from the the apostle Paul. That was a way of life. He said, hey, I'm putting this out here for you to follow follow for you to esteem others better than yourselves. Paul showed us that Christ lived that way and the results of Christ's mindset and action brought glory to his father. So if you and I are busy esteeming others better than ourselves, looking out for the needs of others, guess what our lifestyle will do? It will also bring glory to our great God and father in heaven. So that was the backdrop for introducing us to these men because, you know, you might read what Paul said in the opening part of chapter 2 and say, oh, Paul, do you live in this world that I live in? Do you understand how hard it is to have the mind of Christ? Do you, have, do you understand how difficult it is to actually live the way you're telling us to live? He said, yep, I do. And here's a couple of guys who did just that. And so he introduces us to, in Philippians, to a guy by the name of Timothy and a guy by the name of now, you can all say Timothy, right? That's a pretty easy name to say. But the next guy, Epaphroditus. How many, want, how many of you are going to name your next child Epaphroditus? I mean, yeah, okay, Cindy's, Cindy's, Cindy's promising to do that. Um, really? <laughs> now, I, I hope that my son doesn't listen to this sermon because the, their next child could very well be called Epaphroditus. I mean, we've got Esmeralda and Theodora. And so anyway, but, uh, you know, so Epaphroditus, we don't really know a lot about him except for what Paul says here. And everything we read about him is like, hey, this is a man that we could follow his example. Paul tells us about the mindset of Christ, and he wants us to know that it's not impossible to have the mindset of Christ. So, Open your Bibles, if you haven't done so yet, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. 
Paul doesn't expect us to be perfect, okay? Timothy wasn't perfect, Epaphroditus wasn't perfect, but he wants us to strive for that in our lives. He wants us to be working towards Christ-likeness. So would you stand together and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30? As we read God's word, we want to respect and honor him by standing. So let's stand. It's up on the screen. Read together with me, if you will. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus." But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me." Thank you for reading with me. You may go ahead and be seated. So Paul says, I need to find out what is going on in the life of the Philippian people there that he ministered to. Philippian, or Paul was very active, very involved in Philippi. He spent some time in prison there, um, and then he spent some time ministering with those and, and leading many to Christ and, and starting a church there in Philippi. But he wanted to know, he wanted a firsthand account of what was going on in Philippi. So he's going to send this young man by the name of Timothy. So as we look at verses 19 through 24, we see the example of Timothy. Now, Timothy's name means one who honors God. And it's fitting for us to see how Paul shows that Timothy lived up to his name and and encouraged the Philippians to look at Timothy and follow the example that Timothy set. First of all, as we look at verses 19 through 24, we see the purpose for Timothy's visit to the Philippians. Paul says, I need to be encouraged So I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know how things are going. Paul wanted to be certain. And it wasn't just because he was nosy. Okay? Now... Paul had invested his life into many of these Philippian believers. He wanted to be certain that the Philippians were excelling in their walk with the Lord, that they were continuing to be faithful and not slacking behind. So he sent Timothy to visit and to report on their spiritual well-being. 
Now, y'all know that we spent many years in South Africa, so it's always a blessing to us to hear from South Africans that were involved in our ministry, and, and they tell us, hey, things are going well at Grace, or this is what's happening, and, and in fact, we've had a couple people come visit, uh, and it's always a blessing to be able to catch up on what God is doing in their lives and in the ministry at Grace Baptist Church. It's, it's a blessing to know that people that you invest your life in don't just turn away. They continue to be steadfast and follow after the things of the Lord. Paul goes on in this passage to tell us how Timothy had moved from the right attitude, like we talked about last week, to show his commitment for Christ by living a life that bears out that service record. Okay, So Paul says, hey, Timothy had the right attitude. He was, he was helping me out in ministry, but you know what? He's now serving God on his own, and and he's putting God first. He's making the right choices. He's moved from attitude to action, like we talked about last week. He's moved from attitude, thinking about it and dwelling on it, to actually being involved in the ministry and serving Christ and being committed to the cause of Christ. That's the purpose for Paul's sending Timothy to the Philippians. We also see Paul talk about Timothy's proven character. You know, Paul says that, having a good testimony is important. We want to make sure that we're striving as Christians to have a good testimony, to not do things that would hinder our testimony or drag our testimony through the mud. We want to maintain that proven character. And how do we know that our character is proven? How do we know Timothy had proven character? Well, first of all, we see that Timothy was concerned about the same things that Paul was concerned about. Timothy was concerned. He wanted to make sure excuse me, that um, Timothy was thinking on the right things and he was, he was deliberately making the right choices. Timothy, by the choices he makes, demonstrates that he is concerned about the same kind of things that Paul was concerned about. Remember the idea of setting our minds on the things that are above the things of God? Well, Timothy and Paul were like-minded. Timothy and Paul had set their minds on the things of God. And, and, and making sure that their life honored God. This word like-minded here in our text means being of the same mind or of the same soul. Some have described it as being of a kindred spirit. Simply put, really, Paul and Timothy had the same quality of concern for the Philippian believers, that they would excel, that they would strive, that they would continue on in their service for the Lord. They both wanted the people of the church in Philippi to become, be in the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And that was important because that's what Paul and Timothy were doing. They were becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Earlier in the chapter, Paul encouraged the Philippians to be like-minded, that they would have the same mind. That like-mindedness, remember what it included? It included humility. But more than that, it included encouraging others to strive to be more like Christ, to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul had that mind, and he longed for the Philippians to have it, just like he would long for you and I to have it today if we were reading from the hand of the Apostle Paul. Now, this is something that you and I were working on as a church, isn't it? That's the whole Froneo project, is to have the same mind to have the mind of Christ. We're striving to learn more about our Savior. We're striving to let his word be that which encourages us in our daily life. So we want to have the mind of Christ. 
And I mentioned this before, and I think we do a decent job of it here at Calvary. Isn't it great when people walk through the doors of Calvary Baptist Church that they see we have the mind of Christ? We have the desire to put Christ first and to love others. Uh, Scott mentioned in his prayer one of the key things in the Christian life is loving others. They will know we are Christians by the way we love one another. How can we love like Christ? Well, we can only love like Christ if we know how Christ loved. And that's having the mind of Christ. Paul also knew that Timothy would care for the Philippian believers' needs. He knew how to care for the needs of the Philippian believers. Paul spent, or Timothy spent many years caring for uh, or working alongside of the Apostle Paul. And he saw how Paul cared for those people that he ministered to. He saw that Paul poured his life into these people. Paul knew that Timothy knew what it meant to care for one another, to care for others. So Paul would send Timothy to Philippi to care for the Philippian believers. This was a ministry that Timothy kind of became known for. Later on, Paul would send Timothy to Ephesus because he could shepherd the sheep there in Ephesus. He was developing a lifestyle of caring for and shepherding the people of God. Paul knew that Timothy had a heart that cared for people. You know what? He had a pastor's heart. He had a shepherd's heart, one that loved others and looked out for the needs and the well-being of others and, and, went and made that a priority in his life. Paul says that Timothy will sincerely care for your state, just like Paul cared for their states. He wouldn't just care for the needs of the Philippians because there was a paycheck in it for him. In fact, there probably wasn't a paycheck in it for him, but he cared for them because he knew that he was living and acting in the place of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus calls a person to be a pastor, to be an under-shepherd, as we call them, he calls them to care for and to, to minister to the needs of others, to love them in the place of Jesus Christ, love them the way Jesus would love them. That's why God, you know, I, I tell talk, people say, what's the philosophy of ministry that you have? You know, because there's some churches that have a philosophy and their, their pastor is, yes, he's a pastor, but as a lead pastor, he becomes more like a CEO of the church, okay? And, and then there's other churches that even though they're large churches, the pastor still cares and he's fully involved and invested in the life of his people. And, and I remember telling my uh, my pastor up in Messina one time, the past, that Jesus never said, Peter, CEO my sheep. He said, Peter, love my sheep. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, care for my sheep. That's the way pastors are supposed to live their lives, caring for the sheep that God has entrusted to them. But you know what? We can't always care unless we know. So we want you to let us know what's going on in your lives. And and so we can minister to you, we can pray for you, we can come alongside of you and help you. Timothy knew that, or Paul knew that Timothy would be busy esteeming the Philippians better than himself. Having the mind of Christ. Paul knew that Timothy would seek the things of Christ. He would seek the things of Christ. Paul was confident that Timothy would not seek his own interests but that he would seek the interests of others. He knew, and, and Paul ministered and lo- lived alongside of Timothy, and Timothy was, 
had a testimony of pouring his lives, his life into others. He was fully confident that Timothy would seek the things that are of Christ. Maybe this verse is familiar to you. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what Timothy was living his life out like. Just like that. And you know what? We didn't ask you to memorize Colossians chapter 3 just, I'm sorry, we didn't ask you to memorize it at all. We didn't ask you to read it again and again and again just so you would be reading it. We asked you to read it so it would become part of your life and you would begin living it out. Curtis Vaughn makes a comment that I'd like to read to you. Um, He talks about seeking the things of Christ. He said, to set the heart on, literally to seek the things that are above, is to desire and to strive for those things. It is to see to it that one's interests are centered in Christ, that one's attitudes and ambitions and whole outlook on life are molded by Christ's relation to the believer, and that one's allegiance to him take precedence over all earthly allegiances. Hence, we make the right choices. The verb is a present imperative suggesting a continued action. In other words, don't just seek it once and think you've, you've finished the task. It means keep on seeking, keep on striving. I love that word striving. It means that you don't quit. It means that you don't stop. I think of a relay race and and the runners when they're exchanging the baton. What is the most important thing for the runner that has the baton in his hand to do to the next person? He has to hand that baton off. So he's striving. He's reaching forward with all he's got to make sure that 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 baton gets in the hand of the next runner. Because if they drop the baton, the race is over. It's done. As Christians, you and I want to be striving just as hard, just as diligent, just as focused on making sure we have the mind of Christ, that we are seeking the things of Christ like Timothy and like Paul would do. We also see that as Timothy bore out his testimony of his proven character, we see that he carried out ministry for the sake of the gospel. Paul says that Timothy, as a son with his father, served with me in the ministry of the gospel. Now, there's nothing that beats a father-son relationship. When you're working on a project together, in fact, it wasn't uh, just last week, uh, we had to change the oil in our Honda. And Micah was going to go out to Michigan for a friend's wedding, and the light on the Honda thing said you have 15% of life left in your oil. That means you need to change your oil, okay? So I said, all right, I'll change the oil while you're at work. So I borrowed the ramps from our neighbor. I put the car up on the ramps, got under there, uh, took the oil plug out, and then I couldn't get the oil filter off. I'm trying to get the oil filter off. I got oil filter wrench. I'm under there, and all of a sudden, my oil filter wrench goes, and so all the tension that was in that oil filter wrench was gone. So it wouldn't grip the oil filter and turn it off. So I went over to my neighbor. Actually, I bought a different oil wrench too, but it wouldn't fit on because this filter has a little nut on the top of it that you're supposed to be able to use to take it off easily, but that nut stripped. And so, you know, all these kinds of things are piling up. I can't get this oil filter off. 
So I'm thinking, well, I have two choices. I can put new oil in and just leave the oil filter on. But what if I loosen it enough to get it so it, you know, it starts dripping and then you run oil on oil? Or I could take a screwdriver and drive the screwdriver through the oil filter and see, but this K&N oil filter has steel inside of it, so it's got a steel core. Not so easy to do. All of these complications. So Micah finally gets home. And by the way, he was the one who put the oil filter on in the first place. So I said, hey, I can't get this oil filter off. You got you to gotta get it off. So he's working on it. He's working on it. He's trying to get it off, and he can't get it off. He says, it's just, it's just everything's slipping on it. And I said, oh, well, I said, then we're going to have to try the screwdriver route. So he says, let me give it one more try. And so he took something, and he jammed it into the oil filter wrench, and he gets underneath there. And I, I just got off the phone with my nephew, who's a mechanic, and I said, hey, I can't get this oil filter off. What do I do? And then Micah says, I got it! I said, thanks, Stephen. I don't need you anymore. Have a good night. Um, but we couldn't have done that without working together. The project was a success. The project was finished because, you know, like a father works with his son. That's what Paul says Timothy was. He's like a father. He carries out the ministry the right way. He's carrying out the ministry for the sake of the gospel. That was the very purpose of being involved in ministry. It's interesting that Paul throws that little tidbit in there, that he carries out ministry for the sake of the gospel. Um, You see here, that Paul is painting one of those pictures for us. Paul was a master at word pictures. He throws this picture out for us to see. Um, he, he wants people to understand that having proven character, living out the gospel, is supposed to be a family business. It's a family business. We do things together so others We'll see it. And we do it together as a family. First of all, you know, like if, you're, if you own a business and you want your son to take over that business, you teach him, you train him, you make sure he's there all the time, doing everything that you're doing, following your example, following your lead, and then you begin to let him make some of those decisions and you put him in the place where he's got to make uh, maybe some tough decisions so he really understands what running the business is all about. Our children need to see that in us as we live out our Christian life. They need to see us making those tough decisions. They need to see us putting Christ first. We need to then give them opportunities to put Christ first in their life, to make the decisions, to make the choices while they're still in our home so we can guide them and help them. And if they don't make the right ones, we can say, hey, let's reconsider that. Let's think about that again. Let's double check that and see what we're doing here. So we make sure that as they make those decisions in our home, they're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They become a way of life for them, not just something, you know, why, why do so many people walk away from, can we use the word religion for lack of a better term? Why do so many people walk away from that when they get to high school and college? Because they haven't adapted it. They haven't made it their own. They haven't put it in their own lifestyle. They've been doing it because that's what mom and dad require of, of them. So as parents, we need to help them put that into their life and make it part of their life. Not just an outside thing that they do, but something that they want to do, that they enjoy doing, that they've, they've bought into for themselves. And it becomes now their way of life, not just something that mom and dad made them do. We need to carry out the family business in a way that our family wants to be involved in that responsibility of living out Christ. 
Paul's work for the sake of Christ and for the gospel was pouring into others. He poured into young Timothy, and Timothy began to have that same kind of lifestyle. So Paul says, hey, look, Timothy's going to come to you. He's going to minister to you. He's going to have a relationship with you. He's my co-laborer in the family trade, and he's going to pour his life into you just like I would pour my life into you. That's a good example for you and I to follow. As we move on, we see the exhibit of Epaphroditus' life. Epaphroditus' life was on display in verses 25 through 30. Paul says, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. You see, Epaphroditus came from Philippi to minister to Paul, and now Paul is sending him back to Epaphroditus. He fulfilled the ministry obligations. He fulfilled his commitment. He did well, and now he's going back to those who sent him to minister with, to, to the apostle Paul. The Philippians, they poured their ministry resources into Epaphroditus, who would pour himself into the life of the apostle Paul. Paul had needs in his life at this point. And Epaphroditus helped meet those needs. But while Epaphroditus was there, he had fallen sick. In fact, he got so sick that Paul thought he was going to die. And why why did he get sick? (laughs) Because he was ministering full out, hard all the way, all the time, never stopping. He was pouring his life into the ministry. And Paul thought he was going to die. He was concerned. And if Epaphroditus had died, he would have had to communicate to the Philippian believers, hey, this man that you sent to me to minister to me, he died while doing that. Paul said, that would have been sorrow upon sorrow because I would have lost my friend and then I would have had to tell you about how he died. So Paul says, I'm thankful. I'm praising God that Epaphroditus is now healthy again and he's coming back to serve alongside of you again just like he did before you sent him to minister to my needs. And Paul was encouraged knowing that he would send Epaphroditus back and Epaphroditus would continue on in the ministry. What a blessing that was. You know, it's always hard. And and Calvary has had a history of having people come and serve and serve well, whether they were Bible college students or Bible college professors or, or whatever. They've come and they've served well while they've been part of our church family, and then they've gone out someplace else. And as hard as it is to lose them when they go out, it's always great knowing that they're going out to serve the Lord. And they're going to continue on being faithful in ministry, faithful in service, doing what God has called them to do. So, Epaphroditus, somebody who came to serve, and then he went back and he continued to serve. It's so important for us to understand the importance of serving our great God. Epaphroditus demonstrated his Christian character. Paul pays Epaphroditus some pretty serious compliments here in our text. He says that Paul had, Epaphroditus had a common connection with Paul. He calls him my brother. The term brother there is significant because it shows us that Epaphroditus was a child of God. And the other thing that Paul says um, was, couldn't be true if Epaphroditus wasn't a brother, that he trusted Christ. He worked for the cause of Christ. It's impossible to work for the Lord if you're not part of the workforce. You can't serve God if you don't know God. You can't serve God if you're not rightly related to him through Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus was a brother to Paul in the ministry and a brother to Paul in his Christian faith. We also see that Paul calls him my fellow worker. And that's significant because it shows that he and Epaphroditus shared a cause. 
You know, our world is so cause-driven today that we kind of forget what the most important cause is all about. I remember when I, was, when I was younger, before I went to South Africa, I would meet people and I would tell them, hey, I'm on my way to South Africa. And people would say, oh, that's where they have apartheid, right? Actually, they probably called it apartheid because uh, they didn't know how to say it. Um, yeah, that's where apartheid is. You know, I'm, I'm involved in a group that's protesting against South Africa. So, oh, yeah, well, what are you protesting? Oh, I don't really know, I'm just protesting. <laughs> well, that's the problem with being involved in a cause a lot of times. You don't know what it is you're involved with. I'm not saying that some of, the, some of the things that we want to accomplish by being involved in a cause is a bad, can I, uh, let me touch on a hot button one for a moment, okay? Black lives matter. I, I'll be right there to stand with you and say that every black life is important and Jesus Christ died on the cross for every, uh, every black person. I, I do not want to discount the life of the black lives individual. But the movement all I'm going to say is maybe you should read about the people who are the founders of that movement and it might give you some enlightenment. And I might get blocked. We might get blocked on Facebook because of this, but that's okay. Um, you need to find out what's behind that. You can't just become involved in a cause without knowing what the cause is about. Yeah. But you know, what, you know what happens is what we write and what we say is easy to do, but to live it out is not as easy as it is to say it. It was what? Okay. So, yeah, it's important to understand and know what it's about. Okay? That's, and, and, and Timothy or Epaphroditus and Paul, they shared a cause. He says, my fellow worker. Paul considered Epaphroditus a, an equal partner in the work of the gospel. It didn't matter to Paul that Paul was the, the, the senior member of the team. He says, we are fellow workers. We work together for the cause of Christ. We have, guess what, the same mind in this work. So they're fellow workers. Um, we also see that Paul calls him my fellow soldier. My fellow soldier. In other words, he's one who is a companion in the battle. A fellow soldier was a term reserved for those who were loyal to the cause. And they went above and beyond the call of duty. Paul was not just saying Epaphroditus is involved to some degree. He's saying Epaphroditus has staked his life on the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a fellow soldier in the battle. He's putting it all out there. He's giving it all he's got every day. He's a fellow soldier. He's also a communicator of the gospel. He says he's your messenger. Now, if you're a messenger, what do you have? A message. Epaphroditus had a message. Um, Epaphroditus was not uh, an apostle in the technical sense of the word, but he was a messenger sent by the church of Philippi to minister. So he was carrying out ministry. This special relationship existed between him and his sending church. Wow. That's the importance of a sending church relationship. We had a sending church when we went to Africa. We wouldn't have been able to make it without that sending church's relationship. In fact, we had a time where things were a little uh, difficult for our sending church, and they were without a pastor. So Pastor Brown came to me, and he said, Hey, if something happens with Messina, and things don't work out, and they close, I want you to know that we're here to act as your sending church for you. 
What a, what a significant thing that is to be the ones who send out. The Philippians sent out Epaphroditus and they were blessed by the ministry that he was carrying out, that he was involved in. And you and I have the opportunity to see that happen in our lives and in our church and in our ministry. The, the Murphys are an example of that. How faithful have they been over the years in the ministry that God has called them to? It's a blessing to see that faithfulness go on and on and on. It's a message that we're sending, the significance of living our lives for Christ. Epaphroditus was one who comforts. It says here that Epaphroditus ministered to the needs of the Apostle Paul. He delivered the gift that the Philippian church sent to Paul, but more than that, he came alongside, he put his arm around Paul, and he said, let's get at this. Let's do this ministry. Let's serve the Lord together. I can tell you as a pastor, there's nothing more encouraging for somebody to come alongside of me and say, hey, how can we do this? How can we make this happen? How can we get this done? How can we accomplish this goal that we've set as a church? We want to see it happen. How can we do it? And we do it together. That's why Paul says that a pastor is called for the equipping of the saints. Not so that... you, you. And I said this when you called me to be your pastor. Don't call me to do the work. Call me to equip you so we can do the work together. For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. That we might edify one another. We might build one another up. We might make an impact on our community. That's one of our goals as a church. To continue to make a bigger, bigger, bigger footprint in Preble, New York. And in Tully, New York. And in Little York. And on and on. Wherever we live. Wherever we are. To make a bigger footprint there in our community. We must minister to, first of all, our own church family. And then beyond our church family as God gives us those opportunities. Paul wanted the Philippian believers to know that Epaphroditus indeed fulfilled his commitment to ministry as he faithfully served, even unto death, with the Apostle Paul. And then the last thing that we see about Epaphroditus, and it's a good example for us, he was completely committed to the ministry. Epaphroditus was committed no matter what. We see this in his sacrifice. Paul says, for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Remember what Paul said? He says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord. Epaphroditus did the same thing. He poured his life out for the cause of Christ. We also see that Epaphroditus was selfless. He says, Epaphroditus is not regarding his own life. He's not putting his own life up to be more important than anything else. Epaphroditus considered the work he was sent to do more important than life itself. He was fully committed to accomplishing what he was commissioned to do. He was going to do it no matter what. And then Epaphroditus was supportive. Paul says, he supplied what was lacking in your service toward me. This is not a negative comment. Okay, let's get rid of that thought first and foremost. This was not a negative comment about the Philippians. In fact, it's a compliment. Paul knew that the Philippians would help Paul in whatever ways possible. But you know what? They were in Philippi and Paul wasn't. But they sent Epaphroditus who then was in Philippi. So all the things that the Philippian people in the church in Philippi wanted to do but couldn't do, Philip, or Epaphroditus could do because he was right there. So he filled up all of the things that they wanted to do. He actually brought them to pass. Epaphroditus was with Paul. He served with Paul. He came alongside of Paul. He poured his life into the ministry with Paul. He did everything that Paul asked of him to do and then some. 
He did what the Philippian believers would have done, but could not physically do because they were not there in the presence of the Apostle Paul. So we see from Epaphroditus and from Timothy, two men who set amazing examples for us. They provide excellent examples of people that moved from attitude to action. People that have adopted the mind of Christ and have faithfully served alongside of one another in ministry. They were men that were like-minded, men who cared for the flock of God and men that sought things of God rather than the things of the world. These two co-laborers with the Apostle Paul were men that worked hard for the cause of Christ. They were men that were committed to ministry. These men set a good example for you and I to follow. People who are committed to the ministry, committed to the cause of Christ here at Calvary Baptist Church in Preble. These were humble servants of the Most High God. But they were men that lived thousands of years ago. How does that help us? Well, they carried out their responsibilities just as God calls you and I to carry out our responsibilities in the local church. I believe that people can still be found in in our world today that are like Epaphroditus and Timothy. And I think we have some here in our church. And I think we continue to cultivate that place where people can be just like that in our church here, where people can serve, where people can pour their lives into the ministry. Let me say this, though. These men were not a breed of super-Christians, They were men that were humble, godly influences where God placed them at at that point in their lives. They were people that took the opportunities to learn from their Lord Jesus Christ. And as they learned, they put it into practice in their service for him. We have the opportunity today to be like Timothy, to be like Epaphroditus as we pour ourselves into the ministry of Christ. Scott reminded us this morning of choices that we make. We have decisions that we can make. The decision is up to us. Do we want to be sold out for the cause of Christ? Do we want to further the, well, the popular term is, do we want to further the kingdom of Christ in our world today? I I hope that we do, and I think that we do. So let's be individuals who, who strap it on every day and get into the battle and serve our great God with everything that we have, doing what he's called us to do. Remember this, Christ has equipped us, but he will not manipulate us. He's called us, he's given us a work to do, he's commissioned us, and then he's going to sit back and cheer us on as we serve him and do what he's called us to do. He wants the desire for the service to come from us and not be forced on on us from above. So as we serve, let us serve joyfully. Remember, that joy is something that we do because we know where we'll spend all of eternity. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again today 